Amen. Good morning. Well, how are we, family? It's good to see you. Glad you're here. I want to welcome those of you joining us online. We're grateful for you. Thankful that God allows us this way to connect. We're going to get our Bibles out. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians 7. So this is an ongoing conversation. You know, if you, if you know the Apostle Paul, you know that uh, he likes to jump into a, a topic or start moving in a direction, and then he just keeps going until he gets to the end of that, and then he'll switch gears and go on to the next thing. And we're just continuing through studying this letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth. Now, this is the second letter that he wrote to the church of Corinth. And remember when we studied 1 Corinthians, we walked through 1 Corinthians walking beside Paul as he was dealing with all of these difficult and challenging struggles that were going on with the church at Corinth and all the brokenness and the, and the shallowness and the pettiness that was happening in there. And he, we walked with him through that. And uh, there was a severe letter that he sent in between that's uh, not a part of the canon of Scripture but he references that in 2 Corinthians. And then this letter, this second letter that we have in the Scripture is sort of finding out, well, what happened? What's the rest of the story? Because we were sort of left after 1 Corinthians not really knowing, well, good gracious, what in the world's going to happen to these people? And uh, what we find out is that God has done a great work in them. But it hasn't been an easy work. It's been a great work, but it's been a, it's been a difficult work. And isn't that the way God works in our lives? You know, I, maybe some of you are different than me, and maybe God works in your life, and, and it's, uh, it's just wonderful and easy and simple. But in my life, oftentimes what God is uh, doing in my life that I'm uh, keenly aware of is... Is, has to do with an area of my life where I'm in resistance to His will and purpose. And so as I'm resisting Him, He's working, and those two things are in conflict with one another. And the goal is to walk in the Spirit and yield, yield to the Spirit and not to the flesh. That's our goal. So let's pray and ask God to help us this morning as... He desires, I believe, to do some work in our lives, and it may not be easy. Maybe some of you in the room that he, he wants to do some, some deep work. And we don't want to resist that. We want to receive that because it's from him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment. Thank you that even though so oftentimes our lives get consumed with meaningless things, Lord, as human frail creatures, we so oftentimes take our focus off of what matters the most and we get wrapped up in the trinkets of this world. God, we are unworthy of your love and the grace that you show us. This morning, we, we thank you for your promise 
to speak to us through your word. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll work in us so that our ears would work in a supernatural way to hear the things that you want to say to us. Lord, that our hearts would be receptive and open. That, God, we would want even that which we don't understand. We would want even that which sometimes scares us, but we would want it because it's from you. Lord, help us to, to rise above the ordinary, mundane things of this life and to, to hear and to be in your presence this morning from the perspective of the grand narrative of what you have done, what you have accomplished, who we can be in you, who you sent your son to die to make us, the things you afford us. God, thank you. May this all be for your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So just a reminder of those of you that are planning to go to, on the Guatemala uh, mission trip this summer, there is a, a meeting right after this service in the conference room. All right, so back in chapter 6, verse 12, is the verse that just hung us up, that has launched us into this whole discussion where Paul tells the church at Corinth, he said, you're, you're living a restricted life. You're restricted, but you're not restricted by us. You're not restricted by the things that we're telling you. You're restricted by your own affections. And that should scare us to death that that's possible. That we can have access to the fullness of all that God died to give us and we can live restricted. That is just an extraordinarily earth-shattering concept. And so what Paul does is he says, let's don't live restricted. Let's, let's, let's fix this. So here's the solution. Two things. We, we're going to focus on relationships. And in order to get our relationships in line, in order to get our relationships where they need to be, because he knows we're going to be resistant to that, because, again, what's our problem? Affections. And here's the thing. If, if, if there's relationships in your life that shouldn't be in your life, that aren't, aren't good for you, that aren't, aren't, aren't there because they should be, you know that, but you haven't changed that because your affections got you wrapped up in them. And so you have people in your life that you know are influencing you in a negative direction, but you've been friends with them since kindergarten, or you're related to them, or this, or you work with them, or this, or that, and you're making all these excuses, and therefore it just keeps perpetuating in your life in a negative way. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. So Paul says we need to address our relationships. Don't be unequally yoked. He goes into this whole conversation about, hey, what partnership would light have with darkness, lawlessness have with and on and on and on. And then he says, the way you're going to find the strength, the way you're going to find the motivation to resolve these relationships that you're very hesitant and fearful to do is by residence. Then he goes into this conversation at the end of chapter 6 about how you are the temple of the living God. And then he reminds us of God's promise that God has promised to make his dwelling among us and to walk with us. And that the Lord said he'll be our God and we'll be his people. 
And so that's how we enter into chapter 7, is in this momentum. We get to 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, the ones I just described, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. So every, every defilement, external and internal, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Now, why didn't Paul just say that? Why didn't Paul just say, you're living a restricted life. It's a shame. You're missing out on all the things that God has for you. You're restricted by your, your affections. So why don't you just cleanse yourself of every defilement? He could have. But how would that have worked? What would, what would that have done? What, good luck with that. Go ahead. Let's all close our eyes, count to three, and we're going to cleanse ourselves of all defilement. Let's see how that works out. Because it's not that simple. Well, the things that are defiling us are, are complex, and our emotions are connected to them. And we're relationally involved in them. And, and we don't know exactly how to, if it was easy, we would have got out of it a long time ago. This isn't new information. Some of you over the past couple of weeks have been dealing with extreme conviction. And it's not new. God's convicted you about this over and over and over. And you've done nothing about it. And you keep thinking you're just going to get through Eventually, Tony's going to shut up and get to another topic, and we're just going to forget about this. And that's not how it's going to work. I am going to get to another topic, but God's not going to get off it. He's not going to get off it. We have to have this resolve to do something. See, our relational, and get your listening guide out, our relational resolve, it confirms residence. What, what chapter 7, verse 1 is saying is that if these promises are not true for you, you have zero chance of cleansing yourself of any defilement. Zero chance. So what Paul's saying is, is that if these promises are true, if you have been granted access to the fullness of life in Christ, then you need to rely upon the residence within you to find the strength and the resolve to deal with the things that are around you that need to be dealt with. And he's speaking in particular about this issue of, of direction and destination that we've been talking about. And and. What, what is the direction of your life and what determines that? And, what, and all the whole time, the entire sermon last week was about your friendships. And so our community, it's going to confirm our trajectory. You see, you don't, have to, you don't have to wonder, well, where am I going? Where am I going to end up? Listen, there's no point in wondering that. All you have to do is look around you. Whoever you're walking with will tell you where you're going. You're going where they're going. 
No one's walking with a group of people and not going where they're going. Nobody is doing that. I mean, if, if I didn't make that absolutely painfully obvious last week, then you're deaf. That is an impossibility. Look around you. That's where you're going. The people that you do life with, that's where you're going. It's always been that way. It will always be that way. For some crazy reason, we think that that only applies to us when we're 14. It applied to you when you were 14 months. And it'll apply to you if you live to be 114. And it's all tied up in affections. Because here's the thing. Why? Like if you're here this morning, you're saying, man, i got to make some changes, but I just can't do that. Well, why? Why? Why is it so hard? Because it's connected to what? Your affections. You see, what happens when you... It's, it's the same thing that happens when I look at ice cream. It's the same thing. I have affection for ice cream. I know I shouldn't eat it. I know I don't want it. I can hear my wife going, yeah, 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 in my ear. But I want to eat it. See? You, you, you look around you and you realize i got to make some changes. But you don't. Why? Because you, your affections are tangled up in these relationships. You're afraid. You're afraid of what's going to happen. You're afraid of what people are going to say. You're afraid. You're afraid of all these things. But meanwhile, here's what you should be afraid of. You are going in a direction. You only have one life. My gosh, I mean, I can't sleep at night because I'm so stressed out about you. Because I see your faces. I see you hear what I say. And I think, are they doing anything? Are you listening? Do you think this is a game? A joke? A suggestion? Who is, who in your life is saying hard things to you? Is looking you in the eye and saying, hey, what about this? And what about that? And instead of getting defensive, instead of getting mad and bristly, instead of moving away from them, over to where your affections want to lead you, you realize, no, this is, this is what is important. When was the last time you, you, you sat down with somebody and you looked them in the eye and said, listen, I want you to tell me hard things. I want you to tell me the truth. You have access be honest with me. If you sacrifice truth on the altar of community, you end up creating casualties. You know what? You see, we, we all have 
bent affections. You know, that, that aren't where they need to be. They're not, they're not what they should be. But those are, those are all in groups of, of affections that we all have the same. All of us want community. But listen, all community is not the same. You don't want community at the expense of truth because that's just going to leave people dead. What you want is community built on a foundation of truth. Then you're going to create family. That's the difference. And I'm not talking about biological family. Good gracious. Some of you are like, well, I don't want that. Well, I don't either. <laughs> because the truth is there's, there's a, a lot of folks that need to Step away from some biological relationships in your life because they're dysfunctional and unhealthy. Jesus did. Jesus did. Just because you're raised in the South, you just think if somebody's related to you, they have a, they have a complete right to come into your life and act like a fool. Well, that's just not, that's unbiblical. That's wrong. That's wrong. So look at what Paul does. How is Paul going to express this? It's like I feel all of this that Paul's talking to the church at Corinth, and all week long I'm just bound up and tangled up because I'm, I'm thinking of you. It's just like it's the same thing. It's the same thing. So he says to him, he says, make room in your hearts, verse 2, for us. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. Now, why is he saying that? Because he's spoken truth to him. And guess what? What happens when you speak truth to people? That right there. But that's okay. So, the question's not is it hard or is it easy? The question is is it right or is it wrong? That's the question. He says, I don't say this to condemn you, for, for I said before that you're in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness towards you. Of great pride in you, I'm filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came to Macedonia, because you're like, well, wait a minute. Why is he overflowing with joy in all this? And then he tells us, for even when I came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted on every turn, fighting without and fear within. What is he talking about? came to Macedonia. Remember back in chapter 2? Paul tells us when he sent the severe letter to Corinth in between 1st and 2nd Corinthians and it was hard and he didn't know how they were going to respond and he was waiting in Troas and waiting and waiting and waiting. Well he, and he was in Macedonia then he goes to Troas. He sends Titus with the letter 
but Titus doesn't come back. And so he's like, what's going on? And he can't stand it so much so that he leaves and goes to Troas to intercept Titus because he can't wait for him to get back to Macedonia. Titus doesn't come. He said that in while he was there waiting for Titus that God opened a door for ministry. But I left. I walked away from a divine appointment because I was so frazzled, so stressed out about, about what is going on with you. And then Titus finally shows up, and what does he bring? Great news. They've repented. People have turned to God. It's, and so that's why he says, overflowing with joy. And then in verse 6, but God who comforts the downcast. See, he was, that word downcast, it literally it means depressed. He comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he comforted. We were comforted by you as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me. For that I rejoice still more. See, Paul doesn't say, I don't really care about you. This is what's right. If you don't do this, get out of my life. No. He loves them. And ultimately, if they turn their back on him, then that's just what it's going to be. But that's not what he wants. He loves them. He wants reconciliation. That's why he's speaking the truth. When somebody is sitting there pouring out the hard truth to you that they know you don't want to hear, clearly they love you. It's not easy to do that. Just like when you do that to people that you love. And so we see Paul's he is so committed to, he's not interested in some phony baloney community where we all just, you know, hang out and have fun. If that's all it is, he's not interested. Life's too short. There's too much hanging in the balance. And so he's committed to a community that's built on a foundation of truth. There's going to be room for joy, room for laughter, room for fun. There's going to be, but it's got to be built on truth. But look, if, if we're going to be committed to truth, I mean, here's part of the problem. So I thought about this. I thought, my goodness, what am I going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to, pour my heart out to you about how you need to be involved in community that's built on truth. Well, do you know what truth is? Do you know what I'm talking about? Because I'm pretty sure that there's some confusion in the room about exactly what truth is. So let's make sure that we clear a few things up. See, this is, this is why Paul tells Timothy, he says, look, when you go to lead people, before you fall in love with them, before you can shepherd them, before you get emotionally attached to them, 
you better understand from the beginning that you got to watch your life and your doctrine closely. See, that means that before you develop all this relationship, Timothy, as, as I've taught you everything about how to pastor and how to understand, when you go to begin to lead, you better watch your character. Watch what you're teaching because there's going to be a strong compulsion to teach people what they want to hear, to tell them what they want to hear, to get them to like you. It's going to feel like you're gaining momentum, but you're not. It's all counterfeit. So what is truth? Well, number one, truth is not your tradition. For the love of God, it's not your tradition. Because we got some goofball tradition, don't we? Come on, Baptists, don't act like you aren't, you're not. You're different from me. What happened? You switched denominations since last Sunday? I remember all y'all act like there was no druggies in your school. I remember that. And second service, by the way, called y'all out on that. Uh it's not your tradition. So what are we talking about? Look, Baptist truth is not Bible truth. You sure you want to have this conversation? You know, come on. Now, you know I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings here because some of y'all think Baptist truth is Bible truth. Let's just start with one real simple dumb one. Dancing is not wrong. Who came up with that? What version of the Bible says thou shalt not dance? Huh? What, where did we get this from? Oh, well, the Bible is silent about dancing. Well, almost silent. We'll get to that in a second. But we're going to make that it's wrong. We're going to just make it up. We're going to make some extra biblical material, and we're going to raise everybody in a doctrine of dancing is wrong. Why? Because if people are dancing and gyrating and undulating, bad things are going to happen. Well, that's interesting. What does the Bible say about dancing? The only thing the Bible says about dancing is uh, 2 Samuel 6 where David danced before the Lord, right? And how does the story go? David gets a little undignified, so he kind of goes in Elvis mode, and then dances before the Lord. His wife, Michael, gets mad at what he's doing, and then... They don't have kids together. So according to the Bible, dancing has a preventative effect. So I could say biblically dancing, because I've seen some of y'all dance, is birth control. See? So, dear God, if you're going to listen to what I'm saying and you're, you're ever going to have a, a real sincere conversation with somebody and tell them the truth, do not have a conversation with them about your dumb tradition. 
It's got to be in the Bible. Do not open your mouth until you've looked in the Bible. What does the Bible say, okay? There's just a simple illustration. Truth is not your interpretation. It's not your interpretation. This is, this is what happens. You get a community of people together, and then somebody decides, you know, for, we'll, get to the, we'll get to some wrong motivation in a minute, but somebody, you know, wants to start talking to other people about some situation in their life that they don't feel is correct, and it's based on their interpretation of something in the Bible. And, and the, the conversation always goes like, Pastor, I understand that, you know, there's a lot of things in the Bible that have to be interpreted, and we have to... And I say, well, hold on a second. That's not true. That's not true. Here's what is true. I have read every word of the Bible over and over and over and over and over, and here's what I know. Every single thing that you need to live a godly, pure life is crystal clear. It's crystal clear. Now, there are some things that need interpretation, but they don't have anything to do with what you need to live a holy life. Crystal clear. It's written on a sixth grade reading level. It's not rocket science. It's not your tradition. It's not your interpretation. And it's not your conviction. See, a lot of times people get confused and they think their conviction is the truth. And what is true is that God probably did convict you about this. But what God convicts you about doesn't have anything to do with me. I don't think you understand what I'm talking about. I'm talking about areas that the Bible doesn't speak directly to that a lot of us have real passionate feelings about. I'm talking about things that the Bible doesn't specifically address. So how do you know what those things are? I never talk about them. Because I'm not talking about something the Bible doesn't talk about. So think of all the things that people are super passionate about in the church. That's fine, but I don't, I don't, I don't have a conversation with anybody. Have I preached a sermon about how you ought to educate your kids? See, if somebody stands up and says, hey, you ought to homeschool your kids. If you don't do that, you're a degenerate. That's wrong. That's unbiblical. If somebody says, well, you ought to send them to a, a public school, that's wrong. If somebody says you ought to send them to a private school, that's wrong. Listen, you have the freedom to educate your kids the way God convicts you to do so. But don't be putting that on other people. You got that? I don't think you got it. Some of you moms are going to get in trouble. Because when I get, when it gets back to me, I'm coming to you and I'm going to remind you of this conversation right here. 
What you are convicted of is what God is convicting you of. Unless it says it in the Bible, zip it. If someone wants to know, fine. Do we need more examples or are we good? Okay. We're going to leave it for now. So when I'm talking about building community on a foundation of truth, what is truth? How do you know? How, how do you define truth? Here's the way to define it. Truth is the self-expression of God. That's what truth is. The way God self-expresses. Not the way we express God, the way God self-expresses. And how does God self-express? In the 66 books of the Scripture. That's his self-expression to us. That's how we know what truth is. That self-expression is what guides us. It leads us. Truth cannot be subjective. It's not some consensual cultural construct, okay? No. It's not some invalid or outdated or relevant concept. It is the living, breathing Word of God that is 100% relevant in whatever moment of your life you're in, whatever time, place, culture, it doesn't matter. It's always right. And oftentimes, the reason it feels so strangely disconnected is not because it is. It's because we're disconnected from what we ought to be doing. You see, the further you're immersed into unhealthy community, the more bizarre what the Bible says is going to seem. Yes. So whenever somebody says to me, but that just seems so crazy. To you, where you're living, yes. But if you start walking with God, it'll start making more and more and more and more sense as you do. We know this. Look, Jesus says, sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. That's what it is. Psalm 119, the entirety of your word is truth. That's what it is. It's the truth. So Paul shows us how he's poured his heart out in truth to the Corinthians, how he waited to see how they were going to respond to that, and then the joy when Titus came and, and he found out that they had received it and that it was, it was received. It was hard, but it was received. It was received. But look at verse 8. Look at what he says. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. See, he, he typed that out, that email, and then he was like, uh, and then he hit send, and then he's like, no, no, take it back, take it back, but it was already gone. And all the Corinthians, you know, their smartphones went, boop, and they went, uh-oh, and they got that letter from Paul. And Paul regretted it at first. He's just being honest. 
For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. This is so important, see? So listen, when you speak the truth into somebody's life, this is how, it, this is how I gauge it, okay? I mean, we can't say for sure, but let's just go under the assumption. 25 years of ministry in the same place, I feel like I've got the record for hard conversations in the room. So here's what I've learned. When I sit down with you and I talk to you, if you're not initially grieved by what I said, then probably something is off. I'm missing something, you're missing something, something's off. But that's okay. If somebody, if somebody feels some hurt and some grief over, over what you're saying, don't panic. Let it lie. Let the truth do its work. It's going to take a minute. It's not going to be some quick, magical fix. And he said, it did grieve you, but though only for a while. And then verse 9, as it is now, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. See? Because you were grieved, but the grief led you to respond rightly. That's why he's filled with joy. For you felt the godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. See, they had a choice. Paul, after a year and a half there, built this amazing community. But he left because he, God called him. He had to go on. There were other churches that needed to be planted and other things that he needed to do. And in his absence... False teachers came in. This is not new information. We've been talking about this for months. And, there, and so new community built with these new false teachers. And people got wrapped up in this. And what happened? It was their affections, wasn't it? Because they were saying the things that people wanted to hear. And it broke Paul's heart. Paul wasn't brokenhearted because, because he had lost these friendships. That was part of it, but that wasn't the gist of it. The gist of it was that people that he loved were in jeopardy. See, here's the thing. Yes, we, 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 want, we want people to, to, to know us and to love us, and we want to be in community, and we want to... We, we wanna, no one wants strife, and, and, and no one wants... To, to live in this, in this, you know, this sort of grinding kind of a situation. But, but here's the thing. What matters more than anything else is if I'm seeing your direction shift away from where you should go to where you are now going. That's way more important. 
Or if suddenly it's come to my attention that I thought you were on the path and that you're not. You see, the, the, the direction that a life is moving in is the most important thing. We just don't think about it this way. Like if I said to you, I could say to you every Sunday, the most important thing in this whole world is your des destination, your destiny, your eternity. And everybody's like, yay, yay, yay. But, but how do you get there? You don't just go from A to Z. You're walking on a path. And here's the problem. Got all these people on this path. And everybody's claiming that they're all walking in the direction of this destination. But there's, there's all these contradictory things going on on the path. Something's wrong. Something's confusing. People are walking in different directions and they're saying, no, no, but I'm going the same way you're going. No, I don't think you are. See, true community is about being true. You got to be true. By true, I mean you are true. You're true to what you say. You're true to what you do. You're a true person. You're a person who lives your life by truth. See, if you're saying you're a Christian, but you're living like a non-Christian, that's not true. It's not true. It's not true. Whenever you hear somebody, whether it's when you're listening to a sermon, or you're in community group, or you're in D group, and a conversation comes up, and the Bible says this, and you don't like that because you know that your life isn't where it's supposed to be on this issue, and your first response is to try to come up with some other tangent to justify, that's not true. You're not being true. See, Paul is being true. He's speaking the truth. And he's truly grieved. And he's truly concerned. Everything about what you're seeing in, in Paul in these words is, is true. See, think about this. You can say things with your mouth that are true and be a hypocrite. Most hypocrites speak some truth. That's why they're hypocrites. So it's not just what comes out, is it? True is more than this. So here's the thing. You got all these people and everybody's going, we're all on the path and we're all going to the same place. Not true. True words, what you're saying sounds true, but the rest of it is illuminating not true. Not true. Not true. Not true. And so we've concocted, instead of a, instead of a process by which we hone down and clarify what the path is. Oh, no, we're too, 
crafty for that. We've concocted a, a new way of speaking about the path. A new way of talking about. I mean, the church helped. Don't think Satan hasn't influenced the church because he certainly has. Oh, well, you know, I know. I know that they are, are not doing this and not doing that. Nah, nah, nah. But you know, they, 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 I talked to them and they said they're saved. What, what has that got to do with anything? You know, they made a profession of faith. So what? They got baptized. Who cares? How, what, what, what are we talking about here? In other words, we're on the path, and instead of looking at what's going on right now on the path, we're going, but way back there, this is what happened. Negative. Did Jesus ever do that? Did he ever do that? Is there one time, think of all the times Jesus encountered people who thought they were on the path, and, he, and it never was, well, way back there, this never Jesus said, right here is, the, is clarity. Right here where you are. That's exactly what he did. There was never any confusion with him about what's real. No. We're the ones that got confused about that. He said, you, know, you want to know what's real? Look around. Right where you are. Just look right there. Just look right there. You look right there, and you know what you're going to see? Evidence that's going to tell you who's real and who's not. See, according to Jesus, fruit in your life is the telltale sign of being real. What's the fruit? What are you doing? What's happening? I mean, he's so clear. He says, well, no good tree bears bad fruit. See, everybody on the path bearing fruit, but there's a lot of bad fruit, and people are going, yeah, but back there, back there, they... they they said they planted a good plant, a good, good seed and good soil. He said, no, mm -mm. bad trees don't bear good fruit. Each tree is known by its own fruit. Jesus went to such lengths to get us to understand this. He, he even told us parables for the sole purpose. He, and he told his disciples parables just so that they wouldn't get confused about this. Because he knew they were going to be inundated when they, when they went off into ministry on their own with people trying to convince them that they were something. And he taught them how to know. He said from the get-go, look, there's a sower and he's sowing seed. And the seed is the Word of God. And so the true Word of God is going out, going out, going out. And that seed is falling in different soils. See, some people, as soon as it hits the soil... It goes away. They're not interested. There's no, they reject it. Well, that's easy. But he said, then there's another soil where when it hits it, it's going to start to sprout up. It's going to start to look like, oh, hey. See, here's what happens. You're on the path, and you're trying to figure, and then you're going, but back there, remember back there? Remember back there when they were doing this and doing this and doing that? Yeah, I remember, but that's what's that got to do with here? What has it got to do with today? Today. See, it sprouted up and started looking like it was going to be something. But then what happened? Soon as life got hard, it was gone. Then the third soil. Again, 
receives the word, receives the truth with enthusiasm and excitement. And everything looks good. And we rejoice. Why do we rejoice? Because we should rejoice. You know why? Because we're not the determiner of soils. So we, we rejoice until at some point in the future it will reveal itself. And what happens? They start going. It sprouts up out of the ground. Look at that. It's real. It's growing. Everything's fine. Don't worry. But then they get off the path. They get derailed by worldly things. What, what was once important to them now, what, their affections. They're, all, they're, they've, they're gone. They're chasing their job or their career, their 401K or their, their kids' schedules or whatever it is they're doing. And here's what everybody's doing. They're going, yeah, but remember back there, that's got nothing to do with anything. You see, I'm not in community with you back there. I'm in community with you today. So the only conversation I'm having is about today. Does that make sense? Well, let's do that. Let's all commit to have conversations about today. Where are you going today? Stop giving me excuses about what you were doing two decades ago. Today, what fruit is your life bearing now? And if your life is not bearing fruit now, if I love you, shouldn't we have a conversation about that? If you love me, shouldn't we have a conversation about that? Yes, we should. It doesn't mean that I know anything except for one thing. There's a problem today. See, it might mean that you've never been on the path. Okay, we can fix that. Or it might mean that you got off the path and need to get back on. We can fix that too. But we still got to have a conversation about today. The problem is when somebody goes, well, look back there. Remember back there. Then you go, oh, yeah, you're right. And then we don't say anything. That's the problem. That's what keeps me up at night. Jesus doesn't equate professing faith with possessing faith. You know what? If you read everything Jesus says about salvation, I can sum it up in one sentence. Here's what he says. Whatever someone's saying along the path doesn't mean a thing. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What fruit is your life producing? Not what you say. Mm -mm. See, being real, it's more than going to church. It's more than feeling good about God. It's it's more than accepting Jesus as Savior. It's more than getting baptized. These are all super important things. But they're all things that lead to something. And if it doesn't lead to the something, then the things behind it don't matter. Because they weren't real. You understand that? That's what you got to understand. Listen, 
You can go to church for 50 years. You can be plugged in a community group. You can tithe, you can serve, and you can die and go to hell. You better understand what I'm telling you. Go to hell for all eternity because of something that happened way back there. And how many people, how many people are in hell today who had Christians in their life who saw the warning signs and the trouble and said nothing because you didn't want to hurt somebody's feelings because you were afraid they were going to get upset. And if you, those of you in the room that, that have experienced true community built on a foundation of truth, you know how beautiful and precious and unbelievable it is to be in community with people that you can be transparent with, that you can be real with, that you're real with them and they're real with you. They're not telling you what you want to hear. You're not telling them what they want to hear. You're just walking with God together, being truthful about the challenges that you face and the shortcomings that you have. At the end of the day, real Christians are radically changed people. People who've experienced a new birth, received a new heart, and enjoy new affections. And when that happens, you unequivocally live a new life. It's not a perfect life, but it's a different life. Christianity is not invisible. Real is something you can see. You can see it. You can see it. And you know what? I think most times you can see it in the mirror. We see it in the mirror. Because we have a God who loves us. And if he's taken up residence in us, then what's resident in us is not going to let us ignore it. And if he's never taken up residence in us, he still loves us. And he's putting all these things in your path so that you'll respond to him. So that you'll respond to what you, you know to be true. It's just real community made up of real people who are more committed to the truth than they are to each other. Because that will bond you together like nothing else. Community without authenticity cannot change your destiny. So many times I've seen people come into the church and fall in love with the community. 
That's part of the danger of being in a loving church. And they fall in love with the community. But they don't fall in love with Jesus. They just fall in love with the community. And the longer you are in the community, the more you start to look like you, you know, like everyone else and act like everyone else and talk like everyone else. And the problem is, is that it's not real. It's not authentic. So let's end where we began. Where are you going? Where are you going? If you stay on the track that you're on right now, if you don't deviate, where are you going to end up? What needs to be surrendered? What needs to change? Can you address the affections in your life for things like approval and acceptance that have already robbed you of so much? And say, God, I just want to give that over to you. Maybe this morning, some of you You need to come down here. You need to kneel at this altar. And you need to confess to God the sin of desiring the acceptance of people. You need to confess that to a God who accepted you when nothing in your life merited that. And say, God, help me. Help me to live, to be fueled by your love and acceptance for me so I'm no longer in the tyranny of trying to to please all these people around me. Because this path matters more than anything else. And if you're here this morning and all you have your, your eternity, you're banking on something back there that's not evidenced where you are right now. Here's what that means. That means something has to change. It has to. You cannot ignore that. You cannot. That would be the most foolish thing a person could do.